The root cause of corruption is political financing. And so far in Indonesian pol politics, in Indonesian political history, in the past 20 years, is there, has there been any politician who's doing fundraising? Only Ahok did. To be honest, only Ahok did. Ahok Jarod in 2017 election. But nobody has been asking the question, where did all these politicians, all these political parties get their money from? Welcome to Indonesia In-Depth. My name is Sean Corrigan and today we have an opportunity to meet with one of Indonesia's next generation of political activists and most likely a future politician perhaps based on his experiences. We are joined today by Michael Sienepar. He is the chairman of the Jakarta region for the Indonesian Solidarity Party or PSI as it's locally known. Pat Michael, thank you for joining Indonesia In-Depth. Yes, my pleasure. So if I may, I'd like to start maybe provide some background for our listeners about PSI. PSI is a new party established only three years ago, is that correct? It was established in 2014, November. 2014. Right, right after the nom uh, inauguration of Jokowi as president. I see, okay. And it was co-founded by the former news anchor and journalist uh, Grace Natali. Yes. She was the co-founder or she was the founder? She was the co-founder. It wasn't just one person. It was like more, more of a group of people. So if I can share about the history of yeah. how we existed. We're actually a group of volunteers. I wasn't involved from the very beginning, but I knew about uh, how it came to being. So we were a group of volunteers who helped it, who helped support uh, Jokowi and Ahok in 2012, when both of them ran for office in Jakarta. And then they were elected. And then in 2014, we also supported Jokowi to, to become president. But uh, once we realized that we have achieved that goal, Jokowi has finally become president and then we have uh, mm -hmm. Ahok as governor in Jakarta. We feel like we were very optimistic of a lot of things that we could achieve with the right person at the right place. But in October, or even leading to October, uh, we realized that Jokowi, when he was uh, on his way to, to um, nominate his cabinet members, he was under intense pressure from existing political parties. And that's when we realized that, look, we have supported good people to run for office, but that doesn't change the dynamics in the political structure in Indonesia. So we are a group of volunteers, but after our job is done, helping them get elected, so what do we do now? There's, we don't have any influence, we don't have any institutional power to guide or even uh, support these people anymore. So why don't we start a political party? So that's why in November, just one month after Jokowi became president, we have we made up our mind, all right, if we want to help good people become politicians, it's not enough to just campaign for them. It's not even enough to just start a movement because movement comes and go. Instead, we should make an institution that is sustainable, that is long lasting. And we saw 2012 as a momentum where we see a lot of young people are becoming more interested and more involved. But if we just let this be, it's just gonna be a movement that quickly disappears. So we need to uh, give this soul a body, and we embodied that in PSI, the new party. Mm -hmm. And that, so that's how it came yes. uh, to be formed. The PSI platform is based on, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, anti-corruption, advocating for youth uh, and women participation, particularly in policy-making process, yes. and also promoting government transparency. Yes. We will discuss all of these and the PSI party in a moment, but first let's shift to learn more about uh, Pat Michael. 
and learn about his involvement in politics. Now, about Michael, you've been very passionate about uh, political activism, yeah. and this all started at a very young age, right? Yes. You were the former personal aide to then Jakarta Governor Bazuki Pranama or Ahok, uh, beginning in what, 2012? 2012. Until 2017? Yes. To the final days of the, the office of uh, Ahok. Uh, when he was uh, ultimately jailed on blasphemy charges in 2017, yes, correct? Yeah. And Michael also played an important role in Ahok's re-election campaign. He has a degree in political science from Yonsei University in Korea. But Michael, you have spent many years alongside Ahok and have become one of his most trusted staff. Can you talk a little bit about sort of the final days of his administration and maybe the few days leading up to the day he was sentenced for mm-hmm. using the blasphemy right. case? It's a bit confusing to determine when exactly was his final days in office because he had to take months off from becoming governor when he ran for office. So that's one of the requirements, the legal requirement to run for office if you're an incumbent. You just have to take a few months off during the campaign. So the last time when he was really effective in office was in October 2016. 16, okay. Yeah. And then he, beginning with the campaign in November, he had to leave the city hall. He did return for a few weeks uh, between the first election and the runoff of the election. And then for the second round of the election, he had to take uh, time off again from the governorship position. And after the result of the second round of election, just a week later or two weeks later, I for, uh, forgot, but uh, he received the verdict from the court. Menyatakan terdakwa Insinyur Basuki Cahayapunama alias Ahok terbukti secara sah dan meyakinkan bersalah melakukan tindak pidana penodaan agama. Menjatuhkan pidana kepada terdakwa oleh karena itu dengan pidana penjara selama dua tahun. That was the voice of the judge reading Ahok's indictment stating that Ahok deliberately made blasphemous statements about the Quran during a speech at a public event. The judge said, quote, The court decision is to sentence the defendant to two years in prison. The defendant will be detained immediately and sent to jail. Unquote. During that public speech, Ahok questioned the use of the Quranic verse by his political opponents that Muslims can't be governed by non-Muslims. A video of the speech was shared on social media and was heavily edited to take his comments out of context for greater impact. If, if we talk more about the specifics of before he got the verdict, uh, I would say that the administration was, it was already confusing because the government was running practically autopilot. You don't have a governor figure. Yes, you have somebody from the Ministry of Interior who's supposedly in charge, but the degree of authority that he had is not equal, nowhere equal to what Ahok had when he was uh, supposedly uh, running the government. So it was, it was uh, an autopilot government. And even when he wanted to uh, ensure that some of his policies would still be uh, carried out when he's not in office any longer, he, he never really got the chance to, to figure that out and to set those in stone because uh, we, we never really expected that his term would end so abruptly. At least we thought that even if we lose the election, we will still have six months before the new governor was going to be inaugurated. So that six months is something that we thought we could use uh, to really make sure that all these programs, e-government, uh, transparency programs, and all the infrastructure projects that we wanted to build in Jakarta could, could, be, uh, uh, could be set in stone before we left. But then just a few weeks after the election, uh, nobody really expected the verdict to be that harsh because the attorneys uh, who were pressing the case, they, even them, the, the attorneys, state attorneys, came to the conclusion that 
the that Al should just be um, given a probation instead of a jail sentence. Yeah, so the court case came down harsher than what they were a even pushing harsher. for. Yeah. Yes, I remember the day of the sentence. I wasn't watching the news. I wasn't even watching the the court proceeding because I thought that all right, well, it's probably just going to be a probation. And I was just having lunch with another colleague, and then we read the uh, WhatsApp groups. Started to be. Uh, started to talk about the verdict and we were surprised we opened up all the online news and realized that Ahok was actually going to be imprisoned that day exactly so that that came as a shock for all of us for the staff as well for the team and i think to a certain degree even to Ahokim himself i don't think maybe he could have kind of expected something bad to happen but i don't know some staff some some other colleagues uh, in retrospect we talk about how Ahok might uh, have Premonitions of what was going to happen, but I don't think any of us really expected the verdict to be that harsh and for Ahok to be immediately imprisoned. So he was taken directly from the court to the jail. Yes. So uh, there was a spontaneous demonstration, protest. A lot of Ahok supporters even went in front of the jail. So he was brought to a particular jail in the city, which we knew was which we knew was uh, reserved for criminals just common crime criminals in, in, in the city and it was it came to uh, to us as a shock a lot of people went to the, in front of the prison and then protested I actually went there, so I was a part of the protest, but I didn't do anything much, but I saw people, they were just pushing the fences, and then police told them to stop because if they kept on pushing the fence, then and especially if they go on after sunset, then police is gonna disperse them. So it was an emotional moment for a lot of us. But finally, Ahok was removed to a different prison outside of the city, which is considered much safer. So the former governor Ahok is in jail. Have you visited him often since then, or? No, not not really, not exactly. Uh, some of the staffs did, but I I don't. I still hear news about him, but I I will just wait until he is out of prison. So you haven't visited him directly, out of choice, or? Yeah, it's. I think it's. It's just emotional. Now he was sentenced to two years. Yes. And he has some. Um, yeah. So he has several months of been reduced sentence. Is that correct? Yes. Well, when will he be released officially? As, um, as of as of now. As of now, he only received. I think it was only two three weeks of remission. But we are expecting during the Labaran celebrations and also the. Independence Day celebration, he will get more emissions. So it is possible and likely that he might be out before the end of the year. But even if not, maybe just start beginning of the next year. Okay. Yeah. So, so no, no specific date, depending on how much remission he will get. Any news from what you're hearing of what his plans are after he leaves, after he's released from jail? Well, he still has, I think Ahok is somebody who cannot be, uh, he, he just cannot not be in politics. And even given everything that he has gone through, he has a lot of desire and passion, and I think he still has a vision of what this country can be, not just Jakarta. And what happened to him, I would say, I would argue that it, 
actually gives him the more reason for him to keep on uh, pressing forward. Really? And that's something that he has indicated. But, well, nobody can confirm just yet because we just never know. But, of course, the biggest question is, if, even if he wants to return to politics, uh, how can he do that? What kind of vehicle or what kind of opportunities? Especially knowing that next year is going to be the presidential election. I'm pretty sure that he got, he's going to take some time before he makes the comeback and we'll figure out what will happen after the presidential election, not before. We mentioned very briefly earlier that you were hoping to improve the um, Indonesian political system you know, by attacking corruption and streamlining bureaucracy. For example, uh, President Widodo has faced some difficulties with both of these issues in his first term. But Michael, you know former Governor Ahok very well, yep. and he has some successes with attacking corruption and also streamlining the city's bureaucracy. Uh, where do you see room for improvement in the Widodo administration when it comes to these? The president has issued several stimulus packages and cutting red tape, streamlining the process, but actually implementing that on the ground has been difficult. Do you see, I mean, from your experience working side by side with Ahok, um, any, any ways you think that uh, the current government could improve on both of these topics or issues? Yes, I think there's difference between Jokowi's leadership style and Ahok's leadership style. Ahok is uh, very blunt. He's He's a very st straightforward person, and he's willing to uh, take risk and and just be public about it. Whereas Jokowi, he's a, he's, he's a very good politician. He has uh, a lot of good plans, and he's been able to implement those, but in in a more subtle way. But I think there are problems in Indonesia that you can't just solve just simply by uh, being subtle about it. You will ha be making a lot of enemies for sure, like what Ahok did, what what happened to Ahok, but. What Jokowi needs is somebody who can play that role. If Jokowi cannot do that because he's the president and it's just not his style, somebody has to do it. Will, does he have ministers or uh, people around him in the political positions who are willing to be, uh, to put it bluntly, to be his attack dogs to implement these reforms? If he doesn't, then who's gonna, who's gonna uh, take all the punches? I think Jokowi to a degree has taken a lot of punches. Uh, for example, when he decides to uh, cut the fuel subsidy and then when he decides to take a lot of loans for infrastructure projects. But it will cost him, uh, it, it will always cost, cost him if he, if he has to be the person who mm -hmm. comes out front and then who takes all these uh, punches. So if he wants to promote bureaucratic reforms further, then his ministers would have to step up. So he, yeah, he needs to have he needs to be paired with someone yes. sort of with that it was an ideal pair sort of with Widodo and and Ahok. One was the sort of like you said the attack dog of pushing yes. the bureaucracy, and the other one right. running the rest. Yeah. So yeah. So that's that's the first uh, challenge that Jokowi I think still has to face. The second one is from the get-go, he doesn't, he didn't really have enough political support in the system. Of course, he's a very popular person, very popular president. But in terms of political parties, when he first started, he didn't have any party. He's a member of a party, but he's not a leader of any party. So to implement reform with strong political backing was difficult. Even to appoint chief of police back then was also very 
there, there was a lot of controversy behind it and a lot of pressure from all sides. I think what he has achieved in the past three, four years is he has consolidated power, mm-hmm. especially leading to the next election. He's in a very confident position, despite what happened last year in Jakarta. People thought that with, with Ahok's demise, Jokowi will face much greater challenge for the re-election. That, that's what we all thought in the, uh, after the, the Jakarta election was over. But a year hence, right now, we don't see that challenge anymore. We see Jokowi in the surveys, in the pollings, in terms of the party coalitions. Everybody wants to uh, work together, wants to be a part of the next government's coalition. So he's in a very strong position. So I think he has dealt with that problem in terms of his political consolidation. But second term is, I think in Indonesian politics, we don't have a long history in that to uh, really compare. But if I look at the, the case of SBY, he was very popular. He got 60% of the votes. But his second term, he, there were a lot of people in his coalition who basically tried to backstab him because they knew that SBY will not be able to run for the third term. So let's say Jokowi wins this. Uh, next year's election, which is a very high possibility, very likely. But the challenge is, will people still follow him if he doesn't have the third term? Right now, people are still following him and he's able to manage the coalition because they're expecting something to get. So you mean people follow him, you mean members of his government coalition? Yes. Yes. Some senior, some of the senior members of other parties and things, okay. So, so Jokowi will have to consider what kind of legacy he will leave behind after the second term. And th- that's gonna be, I think that's going to be his primary, uh, primary focus next year after the election. And PSI has supporting uh, President Widodo for a second, yes. second term. Yeah, we definitely support pr- uh, President Jokowi and we hope to be included in the next government. I see. So maybe if we can discuss PSI itself, the party. Tell me a little bit about PSI's platform and how you intend to make an impact in Indonesian national politics. Right. Uh, I know that PSI is encouraging Indonesian youths to be engaged in politics, be part of local elections and things. So maybe you can expand on that. What's, what's sort of the main platform for PSI? Okay, so what's new about PSI? I think in, in terms of our political ideology, we're more like center-left. We're not a socialist party. Some, some people thought that we're socialists. Some, some people thought that we're leftists. We're not really leftists, we're just a center-left nationalist party. But the key difference between PSI and other parties is not the political ideology. I look at PSI, if I make comparison with uh, other parties in the past, uh, and I, I like to read history books, I would say that PSI is quite similar to the Progressive Party of America back in the late, no, early 20th century. Back then in, in the U.S. politics, uh, political history, you had two big parties, Democratic and Republican parties. But then uh, there came the third party who promotes, not in terms of the ideology, but in terms of the good governance. And that's what we, we're promoting as well. So the four pillars that we have in PSI, the first one is we are anti-corruption party. And a lot of all the parties, of course, will claim that they are anti-corruption. But we are the only party so far that is committed to doing fundraising for our activities. I'm the head of Jakarta branch. Uh, our annual budget last year was around 150,000 US dollars. And it's an amount of money that we fundraise. Because in PSI, we have this theory uh, that, all right, a lot of people, I think all people in Indonesia agree that corruption is the biggest problem in the country. You want to have good education, you want to have good healthcare, you want to have infrastructure. As long as there's corruption, those policies will just not work. So that's a, I think that's, there's a consensus that corruption is the biggest problem. But every week we see that the Corruption Eradication Commission, the KPK, uh, basically catches a new corrupt 
mayor, another corrupt uh, member of parliament, every single week, almost every week. There's just no end to it. So if there's one corrupt official who's, who's got, of course that, corrupt, that official is corrupt. If there are two, th both of them are corrupt. But if you see every single time, every, every, every week, there's another corrupt official getting caught. We believe that it's not just the problem of the individuals, but there's a problem in the system. Yeah, that's a bigger, yeah, bigger yeah, system a, issue. A bigger system issue. I mean, to be honest, if, if, we, if we, co we're consistent about uh, eradicating corruption, I think the law enforcement can catch a lot of people in this country if they want to, because corruption is just ingredient in, in, this, in the political system. How do I know this? Well, the root cause of corruption, this is what PSI I believe, the root cause of corruption is political financing. And so far in Indonesian pol politics, in Indonesian political history, in the past 20 years, is there, has there been any politician who's doing fundraising? Only Ahok did. To be honest, only Ahok did. Ahok Jarod in 2017 election. But nobody has been asking the question, where did all these politicians, all these political parties get their money from? 2014 presidential election, is there any candidate who uh, did public fundraising that, that is transparent and accountable? or in any regional elections right now. This year we have a lot of regional elections. I know some candidates are doing fundraising, like Ritwan Kamil in, in West Java, and in South Sulawesi there's another can candidate doing fundraising, but fundraising is just not the culture. And how do, how do politicians get money so far in Indonesia? Well, you would go meet with some big conglomerates, get money, or some shady mafia, get some money, and that's what you use for uh, the campaign. And once you do that, um, uh, uh, of course there will be greater tendency to make our policies or to give something back in return. So the first thing that PSI wants to do, if you really want to eradicate corruption, it's not enough to just implement the law. We have really good law. But even given a strong law enforcement, it's not going to stop corruption. But we have to go to the root cause, which is political financing. So would, it, would that be campaign financing reform or, or law or something like that? What's there is already campaign financing law, but it's not been implemented. Nobody's following the law in terms, in terms of campaigning. I mean, I mean well, you can fulfill all the cosmetic requirements, but if the accountants who are checking financial reports from campaigns are really serious and are really clean in investigating or uh, auditing, I think it, 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 it's going to be quite clear that these politicians and parties are just not following the spirit of the law. So what we need to do is, uh, we need the middle class people to realize that, look, if you want reform, you have to take part. If you, either you run for office, you become the candidates who bring about change, or you have to support them, other people who, are, who have that vision with donations. Because no democracy in the world is free. And we have to start asking the question, so if it's not free, then who's been paying for all this democracy in Indonesia? We have thousands of elections every five years. Local election, national election, who's been paying for all that? Are we gonna turn a blind eye? Because that, that is where that is the root cause of, the, of all this corruption. So yeah, so that's the first difference. Second difference is we are a pro-diversity party. I mean, just to be brief about it, when Ahok was in prison or, or when, when the blasphemy charges was laid upon him, I think PSI, even though we are a small party, a new party, but we're the most consistent political party that supported him. Because back then, a lot of political parties were very hesitant because they knew that if they supported Ahok, then they're gonna be labeled as an anti-Islam party by the radicals, so they, they were very calculative about it, but we are consistent. And the, second, the third difference is we are a meritocratic party. I think in Indonesia there are two types of parties, parties run by a family, or basically an individual, or parties run by the elite. Yes, you might have 
elections in the party to elect the next chairman but it's practically the elite choosing who's going to be the next elite but in PSI in our party what uh, the, the culture that we are promoting and that we are building right now is as long as you work as long as you show competence and you have vision you have the same uh, ideas about what we want to do in Indonesia then you have the opportunity to be uh, you start off with a member but you can rise up in terms of the rank you can even run for office get a good uh, spot in the uh, in the election list because we want to be meritocratic about it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because we believe that if we want good government it is impossible for a politician to implement good governance if he or she cannot even uh, do that in his own party or her own party it's just inconsistent you expect these politicians to to be clean in the government well then you should expect the party they, that they come from to be clean if the party is not clean then if they cannot even run up a clean party with only a million dollar budget then how do you expect these politicians to run the government with billions mm -hmm. trillions mm -hmm. of dollars budget and be clean about it so that's the third one and the fourth one we're an open party so we try to be transparent about our financing and uh, decision making also we don't want all the decisions to be made from the top we want to have our members involved in every step of the way. I know you're very close with Ahok and I'm assuming that many other members are very close to him as well. Does PSI have any affiliation with, with Ahok or at uh, all? No. A lot of people in, in our party, of course, were supporters of Ahok and are still a uh, supporter of him. But we don't want to make a party that is based on an individual. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We don't want our party to revolve uh, around any person. Because that's also the key takeaway lesson we we got from last year's election in, in Jakarta and also even in the election in Indonesia in general. That if you, the reform movement in Indonesia cannot rely on just one or two persons. Because we never know what will yeah, happen to the yeah, person. Yeah, it gets back to your point early on, yeah, in yes. the beginning, yeah. yeah. So it's not a, part, a party of personalities. Of, it's not a party of a personality. But we are still a party of personalities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the personalities that we're looking for is on the local level. We, we, try, we want to identify politicians who are like Jokowi and Ahok, who maybe nobody knows right now, but we want to identify them, empower them, and support them. Just riding on that on that point, PSI is made up almost entirely of young members, and I guess it's been dubbed sort of the millennial party by some observers. All the members have never held office before. Is that is that accurate or no? So we differentiate between members and um, the 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 party officials. What do you call it? The party committees. So in order to be a member of the party committee, like myself, like the head or having positions in the party you must not have a previous uh, position in any political party. So we want to start uh, with a clean slate. But in order to be our member, uh, it, it, it doesn't matter if you're from another party I or see. if you're old, an old person, if you're like 50 or 60 years old, but to be a person who is in charge of the party, who has positions in the party, you have to, to be uh, 45 years or younger. So that's the requirement. Yes. So if you're 46, then you, can't, you cannot be a, a party functionary. And how come? What's the reasoning behind that? The reasoning behind it is because we don't want people to see... The, our, we want our party to be professional, but we don't want people to see our party as the end in itself. If you are concerned about, the, about Indonesia or about the city, alright, come join our party. Help support this party to be big and to have influence. 
but at the end of the day don't take your position in the party as the end goal mm-hmm. but if you're really concerned about the, about Indonesia then you should run for office but the people who are running the campaign who are running the strategy who are basically uh, running the engine we believe should be just the young people it's, it's like a trading ground but do you don't see any uh, shortcomings on you know these people could bringing could be bringing valuable valuable experience and, and knowledge to, to the party that's yeah I think there are two rationals behind the age limit the first one is because we are very careful that our party will not be just uh, infiltrated or be uh, influenced by people with the old political culture mm-hmm. who are just look, uh, looking at us and see oh this is a new party I'm gonna join this party so that I can have influence and and just gonna bring the old the culture from other older parties mm-hmm. so that's the first rational the second rational is because there, there might be some shortcomings but I think but again we, we want to draw a distinction between the politics and the running of the party so the running of the party is for the party functionaries but the politics anyone who wants to be a candidate in our party doesn't have an age limit if you're above 45 you can still run with our party oh you can you can yeah so in, in that case, the politics of PSA is, is not based on age, but we just want to make sure that the people running the party, running the organization, are people who are dynamic, who are tax-heavy, who don't have any baggage from the past, mm-hmm. and who are intent on creating a new political culture. For example, in next year's uh, legislative elections, yes. PSI's candidates, there are some individuals over 45 years old? Yes. Okay, uh, so that's right. the that's the distinction. You could be a candidate, yeah. but so you're not the the functionary of running the the party. You have to be um, 45 and under. Yeah. So just to give an example, in the province of Jakarta, my team are almost all of my team are a, a below 30 years old. Maybe only two or three people who are above 30, but none above 40, even though the age limit is 45. But a lot of our candidates are above 30. Some of our candidates are above 40 and even even above 50. It's just that we feel like if we want the party to be uh, dynamic, uh, to, to, to use all the technological uh, innovations that exist now, it's, it's better for all this technology to be utilized by the young people. But these young people are here not because we want control for us. The point of PSI is to identify good candidates, no matter how old or how young the person is. Mm-hmm. We're gonna tell them, look, we are creating the infrastructure, the platform, which we hope that you can use. And that's what's ha- what has been happening in Jakarta. Our candidates are young and old. Yeah, mm-hmm. We have, we have uh, all sorts of candidates. So PSI is a new party, as I mentioned earlier, just over three years old. Meeting the requirements set by the Indonesian uh, Election Commission to participate in next year's elections, is no easy feat, as Michael is well aware. So this is a major accomplishment by the PSI members to actually be, uh, to go through that phase and be verified and and be able to allow to participate in the election. However, with that said, some observers feel that PSI may have some good ideas and and have a a good cause, but it will face an uphill battle to play a role in in Indonesian national politics, particularly when faced with a new 4% uh, parliamentary threshold in parliament which would be 4% of the national total vote, correct? Yeah. Yes, we have to gain at least 5 or even 6 million votes in the general election next year. Minimum, right? Minimum. Yeah. If not, then we will not have any representation in the national parliament. But even if we don't get the 4% threshold, we can still get representation in the local parliaments. So it's not the end of the world for us. Oh, although, okay. although we, of course, we strive to get the 4%, we want to get even higher than that. 
we are optimistic about it, but we understand that it is a huge challenge. And we, we try to look at some examples in uh, other countries' political history. Of course, Piazza aspires to be like Anne Marche in France that was just instituted in a year and then two years or two years and they managed to win the election. But we realized that's just an idealistic situation that might not even possible. But in, in Spain, there's this case of a local party, the Citizens Party, which started off as a local party in Catalonia. And then it, it was a, but the party was consistent to pursue the goals for 10 years, for a decade. And it is now the fourth largest party. So yes, we want to be the party that just suddenly become the winner of the, an election. But if, it's not, if that's not possible, I think a lot of people in our party should be realistic that we're in here for the long haul, mm -hmm. especially because we're young people. It's good that we start young. We start early. But even if it takes not just one election, but two election cycles, three election cycles, but that's not going to stop us. Because we know that the urgency of corrupt political practices in Indonesia and also the lack of interest among the young people, among the middle class urban people as well, are very concerning to us. So, so we know that there is going to be room for us to grow. It, it will only grow, even if we only get a few percent in the next year's election. Mm -hmm. But we do hope to get at least four percent. But you still have some influence at the, at the regional or local yes, level? Yes, at the local levels. Okay, I yeah. think I might be different from other people in the higher up, in the national level of the party. I believe that PSI's future is not in the national level. Our future should be in the local level. Because looking at somebody like Jokowi now, who, who are they? They were basically just local politicians. Jokowi came from a small city solo. Ahok came from a small island that nobody knew before called Blitong. I didn't even know the Blitong Island. Uh, I, of course, I knew there was the, uh, the province of Bangka Blitong, but I didn't know what Blitong was until I saw Ahok and then Ahok became successful. What we should do is we should believe that there are good politicians in the local levels. We should be able to identify them and give them a bigger stage. And in order to do that, we don't have to get huge representation in the national level. But as long as we have enough seats in some local parliaments, and then in the next local election, we can nominate somebody to be the mayor, and then a few of the candidates win the election. That's just how we should go. Mm -hmm. But we should start from the local level. Um, I'm told that many people have pushed you to make a run for the uh, Indonesian parliament in next year's election, but it seems you have decided instead to play a role behind the scenes, supporting the party and the other candidates. Can you tell us why, why aren't you running for office in next year? You've been basically in politics since, since a very young age, back in 2012. Yes. Have a lot of experience in Jakarta, uh, the governor's office, and seen firsthand how, how government works and uh, how things can be done. Uh, why aren't you running in 2019 for any office? Yeah, so I did run for office back in 2014, the last election, when I was still a member of a different party, Ahok's party back then, Gerindra. And you, I, and you were, so you were a member of I Gerindra. was a member of a, a different party, but I wasn't a, a political functionary there a party functionary. So I did run for office before and when I ran for office last time I was the rank I, were, I ranked third third in the party 
and our party won two seats. So I was actually the runner-up for the seat in the parliament. In 2014? In 2014. Okay. And I think for the past five years, I've learned a lot of things about how the government is run. And I have seen it from the inside. I work in the city hall, in the governor's office. I would even go as far as saying that I was a part of the eye of the storm. I was right in the middle of all this storm, of all these political changes in Jakarta, in Indonesia. I saw the demonstrations, I was in the city hall, I was uh, part of the, a lot of the reform policies. And I, I've learned a lot and I think I actually would suit uh, to be a candidate, to be a competitive uh, candidate for the city council in Jakarta. And I did have planned to run for 2019 before... For parliament or for... For, par for the city council. City, okay. Bef uh, before Ahok lost the election. But after he lost the election, uh, I, it was personal for me as well. It took me a while to sort out what politics mean to me anymore, given all the uh, insanity behind it. And I decided not to run for office, first of all, because I took the defeat, Ahok's defeat, even though it wasn't my fault, it wasn't any of us our fault, but I took it as a personal failure, failure as well. Although at the same time, there's a greater urge. I realized that, okay, a lot of people are losing hope because of what happened. A lot of my friends are losing hope. A lot of my colleagues didn't want to be involved in politics anymore. If I resigned myself, if I lose hope as well, then who's gonna have hope? Yeah, who's there, yeah. Who's there left? One of my uh, conclusion was, hope is not a static thing. It comes and goes depending on who still believes. If nobody believes in hope anymore, then there is no hope. So I chose to still have hope. I wanted to be in politics, even more so. I wanted to do something big. I wanted to keep on pushing forward. But I realized that this is a long fight. You know, as a young person, I was, I was only 21, 21 when I started working for AHOK in 2012. And coming back from college in South Korea, back to Jakarta, and being involved in the city, city hall, I felt like doing change in Indonesia could be quick. It, it was hard, it was really hard. We had a lot of uh, hurdles and enemies, people who didn't want to accept change, people who didn't want to accept reform, but I thought that we could do it. As long as we have somebody like Jokowi as president, or as governor, it's gonna be tough, but we just have to keep on pushing forward and we're gonna accomplish it. I was very optimistic. I still am optimistic, but I realized that, well, that was the ideal situation. But in most of the time, the situation is not ideal. And if the situation is not ideal, what are you going to do about it? And I've decided, all right, so I need to not focus on achieving what can be achieved short term, but thinking of the long term. That's the first reason why I don't want to run for office just yet, because I'm uh, figuring out a lot of things. Second, with my role in the political party, I'm the head of the regional branch of the entire province. I feel like if even if I run for office in, and even if I get elected, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be a one city council member. But if the party doesn't win enough seats, then what does one seat really count? So instead of focusing on my own campaign, I would just help support these other candidates objectively and I would uh, campaign for them, I would fundraise for them so that we can have not just one but three or even five or even more seats mm -hmm. in the city council. Have a bigger impact. Yeah. Have a bigger impact. And this is also something that I tell myself constantly. Look, we don't want this movement to center around a personality. If I run for office, I'm just going to focus on making myself as a, a new political figure in the city, as a, a new young politician. What is that going to do? What if someday I'm going to disappear again or some, something bad happened to me? But instead of making just, instead of just creating a personality, another personality and another personality, we should create a system. And 
I feel like all these experiences I have accumulated have equipped me to work on the system. And that's what exactly I'm doing right now in the party. Uh, Michael, I want to maybe read something for you here and then maybe get your response. Sure. Australian National University's New Mandela website, which writes about Southeast Asian issues, uh, wrote a very scathing article on PSI, stating that, quote, the New Indonesian Solidarity Party, PSI, isn't much different from conservative oligarch-linked parties that we used to, unquote. It said that basically the image that PSI is promoting conflicts with how the party is structured internally and that uh, they specifically mentioned the names of Sonny Tanuwijaya and Jeffrey Giovanni as examples of how the party is linked to big business and how its members aren't the cleanest when it comes to corruption. Uh, Sonny reportedly has links to Indonesia's largest real estate conglomerates and Jeffrey meanwhile is said to be a veteran politician that has had memberships in several established political parties and also has close ties to the powerful businessman and tycoon Tommy Winata. How do you respond to these statements from New Mandela? Yeah, I think it's sometimes it's funny when I uh, hear reports, it's, it, because it's not just in Australia or New Mandela, but it's, there are some reports here in Indonesian newspapers as well. And it's been used uh, by our political opponents or people who are skeptical about us, because some of the facts that some of the information it mentioned is just very contrary to the fact. For example, like Sunni being linked with Sinarmas. I know him for many years. I've worked with him for many years in the city hall as well. He, he also worked in city hall together with me. And I, don't, I never see him or hear him having connection with that particular group. I don't know that much about Jeffy Giovanni, but people just draw strange con uh, conclusions. So Sunni is maritally connected with the Sinarmas group. I think his cousin or some, somebody in his family is married to a member of the Sinarmas family. But it doesn't prove anything. So I think a lot of people in the middle class or upper middle class, and Sunni, Sunni is, and maybe I am to a certain degree, we might have connection, but that doesn't mean that we owe anybody anything. So they're just trying to uh, draw links that don't exist. But are they, uh, how, how much influence they have in the party or are, are they connected with the old order or no, not the old order politically, but, but the, the, um, the conglomerates or the conservative, the oligarchs? Realistically, uh, for a party to exist like us, uh, there are a lot of young people, volunteers and also activists involved in the party. But we realized from the get go that if we really want to get this party going and we want our party to uh, have a to be solid enough to pass the requirement in the election commission to run for office and so on. It's just impossible for us to start from scratch. We need to have political backing, we need to have financial backing as well, we need to have organizational support as well. And these are things that, so, so we're not completely, we're not completely, uh, what do you call it, ignorant or foolish about it, because we know that uh, it takes a lot of effort and energy to start a party. And these people, of all the people that we knew, we believe know the strategy. They know enough of politics, but they're not really involved compared to other politicians in other parties. They're not really like big known figures. They're not like Surya Palo. They're not like Prabowo Subianto, who, who started the party. So their, their positions in the party are not, that, are not that central. But we look at them as people who can open up connections, open up doors, both in the political world and also in the business world because we need to do fundraising as well. We need to do fundraising and we, if we want to uh, compete in the in election, we need to make sure that the political elite will not just make ourselves like a, a fool or play a plaything. 
Mm-hmm. So, so, so that's the. So they're not, so not uh, dismissing you, uh, dismissing yes. the party. Yeah. Right. So, so that's uh, where they function uh, in the party. But having been in PSI for two years, and I think my position in the party is also quite strategic. I'm the head of Jakarta. I haven't seen any intrusion of or interference from any uh, member of the hierarchy be it in the national level or in the people who are presumed to be in the working in the background. I make a lot of decisions myself in the party. I select my own candidates who want to run for office. I fundraise for my own branch. So I have a lot of autonomy. And that applies not just to Jakarta, but to a lot of provinces in Indonesia. So we're pretty much a bottom-up political party. At least that ha- that's what I have been experiencing in Jakarta. I don't see my authority being uh, influence or, or undercut by anyone above me. And that's the culture that we want to have because we want our members and our party functionaries to uh, start from below and to prove themselves. Are you capable enough? How much commitment do you want to give to the party? If you are committed to it, then you can have position and then you can be a candidate in our party. So, so we, we're, our party is very different from all these other oligarchs that uh, exist in other parties. So the claims in, in that article are you feel maybe are greatly exaggerated and there's there, you don't feel any uh, push to be influenced by any uh, senior members or other members in the in the party from these um, other positions uh, yeah yeah PSI is a new party that has also endorsed President Widodo for a second term in office uh, in the election in 2019. Who do you believe will compete against uh, President Widodo? And who does PSI support as uh, Widodo's vice presidential candidate? I know it's still a little bit early. We have a couple more months to go, but judging now, who do you think uh, will be running against? Do you think it'd be Prabowo running with him? Do you see any possibility of Prabowo accepting President Widodo's offer to be his running mate in 2019? Yeah. For example, so, so the nomination is in two months' time. So it'll be August, August fourth, so early, early August. 17. Yeah. And I would say that it is still too early to tell yeah. what is going to happen. Yeah, which, which sounds which sounds a very short <laughs> period of time, but yeah, in Indonesian but, terms, but it is still too early to yeah. tell. So well, of course, the persons who appear in the survey a lot of times is Prabowo as the com- contender, Jokowi versus Prabowo again. There are some names who want to run against Jokowi as well, who wants to run as president, like Gatot but he doesn't have the parties, he doesn't have the uh, enough backing politically. So he has no chance, as of now. Anis, uh, he's also eyeing for an opportunity. I think it's quite obvious. Anis has been giving a lot of uh, responsibilities to, to his deputy governor. And from what I heard, Anis just wants to focus on policies and activities that would push him on the national scene. So, so Anis right now is focusing on the national level, not on Jakarta. But his rating has not improved significantly, and he's, he has challenges also getting any party support. So the only likely candidate to run for the presidency other than Jokowi as the incumbent is still Prabowo. And when it comes to the vice president, uh, there are a lot of maneuvers that I see. But I have a feeling that it's going to be a party person who's going to be the vice president. And Arlanga from Golkar, I think he has a good shot because he has a Golkar, a big party. And he doesn't pose as a threat to many people. 
unlike other politicians who have more baggage mm-hmm. they carry. I think Arlanga is a fair fair shot. Yeah, the relationship between the between the president and Yolanga is just on a daily basis seems to be getting stronger. Yes. The two meet, you know, several times a week. Yeah, they seem every almost every time in public they're side by side and going to events. So it seems like that relationship and plus the relationship between the president and Golkar just become tremendously uh, much stronger in the past six months or even after after Novanto and the new chairman Yolanga came in. Our listeners will have to watch to see how latest developments go and then also, of course, the results in 2019. So, Pop Michael, thank you for being on today's show. So thank you for your time. Thank you. That concludes our episode today. My name is Sean Corrigan, and we will be back soon with another episode. Please email us your comments, questions, and criticism to info at indonesiaindepth.com. That's info at indonesiaindepth, one word, dot com. And don't forget to subscribe to Indonesia In Depth on all your favorite podcast apps. See you soon.